You know, this has been a week of answered prayer. I don't know if you all understand that. Um, let's see. Jerry got a pacemaker. I asked him this morning if he has any more energy. He said no. <laughs> but he's working on it, right? Good. We prayed, and that's a great, great thing. Uh, let's see. Uh, Eric here had a family in uh, line with uh, houses to be destroyed and houses lost in fires. He said everything turned out just uh, better than they could have expected. So praise God for protection and all of that. Uh, the Winters got uh, on their long trip with uh, Mom, and she was able to spend time with her son before he went to eternity. And that's just a, a blessing that everybody had prayed for. So God is good to answer prayer. Uh, let's pray before we open the word of God here this morning. Father in heaven, we are mindful of the fact that we live uh, very precarious lives. Uh, we have no idea what tomorrow holds. We have no idea what you have in store for us. We do not know the future in any way except to know that there is a God in heaven who has control of all things. And in that, we confess our trust and our confidence this morning. Uh, be with those who fight these fires in our state and around our country. Uh, protect them who are willing to give their lives uh, to save others' lives. And we pray, Father, too, for those who have lost much. May they indeed understand that you're a God who takes care of them in all circumstances. We just thank you this morning, Father. Thank you that Joel and Abriel can be here. What a delight uh, to see what you've done in their lives over these past years. And we do pray for them as uh, they prepare for this next step in what you have for them. And just uh, be with us this morning as we open up your word. It's your word, and let it be that. And let us uh, leave here with a clearer understanding of what you want from us and how we are to live for you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, you need a bulletin. So get a bulletin. You got a bulletin? Good. Uh, this is the last week in 1 John. We have been six weeks in 1 John because that's what we were told to do. <laughs> so uh, this is the sixth week. I feel a little bit that um, as we look at 1 John chapter 5, first 12 verses, that what has happened over this uh, time together is that John has given us what I'd like to think of as a vocabulary list. Kind of like what you used to get in fifth grade. You know, the teacher would give you an English vocabulary list. You were supposed to learn the meaning of all these vocabulary words. We've been going through First John, and we've gotten a whole lot of vocabulary words. Some of them may have been new. Some of them may have had some new meaning to them. The biggest word that we got was the word fellowship, and they're listed in your bulletin here as well as on the, on the light back here. Uh, fellowship is what this whole letter has been about. John wants us to have fellowship with God, the same kind of fellowship that he had with God through Jesus. He talked a little about walking in the light, and we're not going to explain all these again. He shared with us this idea of sin, missing the mark of God's perfection, of Jesus being the propitiation, another great vocabulary word. And then we got the vocabulary word of abiding, something similar to the fellowship with God, living there with God. Love for one another, we looked at last week. And then uh, we got these words from John about the world and what that was 
and not only the world, but also the voices of the Antichrist. So today, we're going to get the last word. Now, we've already hit this word, but I told you when we hit the word before, we'll save it for a later date. This is a word we don't like, but it's one of our vocabularies in 1 John. It is the word commandments, okay? 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Here it is. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and, here it comes, obey the commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, and this is when everybody checks out of this whole thing. This was going along pretty good, okay, until we got to keep and obey commandments. Just how many commandments are there? How long is the list? Is this a list of the Old Testament commandments? Is this a list of some New Testament commandments? Is this a list that John has? And just to start with, we don't like commandments anyway. Nobody's going to tell us what we have to do. So we don't care about this part. This is a bad vocabulary word to keep the commandments. Well, just for fun, I went back through what John wrote in 1 John to find out what commandments he gave in 1 John. So I basically listed them for you. So let's read them together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment. That's interesting. But an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. Chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And then 4.21, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And finally, chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. Chapter 4, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. This is what John said the commandments were. And he said they're not very difficult to grasp. First of all, we're to believe in Jesus. Secondly, we're to love one another. We looked at that last time. And we're not to love the world, and we're to test the spirits, the voices of the world. How do you like this for a summation? I like this. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, this is what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, if you want to just hang on to those two commandments, that's pretty good. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and love one another. Okay, now let's go back to what John had to say because there's a part of this that we talked about, but I think we need to talk about it once more for a short period of time. And that has to do with overcoming the world that surrounds us. Now, back when John told us not to love the world, he defined the world for us. And this is about overcoming that world. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. 
Everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Chapter 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, we define the world as John defines the world. In John chapter 2, verse 16, this is what he said the world was. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then he added in chapter 2, verse 18, Children, it is the last hour, and you've heard that Antichrist is coming, and now many, many Antichrists have come. So we talked about these things, but I, somehow this seems to be the most important part of all this and maybe the most difficult. When we looked at this, we said these are the distractions that we all face. We can say we believe in Jesus. We can say we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our mind. But we are constantly being distracted from doing that. And the distractions come from this thing called the world. It is our culture. It is what we live with around us. Our culture distracts us from our walk in the light, fellowshipping with God. Agreed? It's hard out there because we constantly get distracted. Don't necessarily want to do this. We are just constantly distracted. So I thought I would do something here today. Now, some of you are much younger than me, so for some of this who are much younger, this is going to say, wow, I didn't even realize this. So we'll just take it from my perspective. So in the 70 plus years that I have lived on this earth, I have looked at things that have originated in the world and have them come to me and I have had to decide, is this good? Is this godly? Is this right? Is this truth? Or what am I supposed to do with this? Is this a distraction? Okay? You all with me? These are all, none of this has come from the theology of the church. All of these things have come from the world during my lifetime. So I thought we would just look at them for a few minutes here this morning. This is what has come down the pike in my lifetime. Now, I have already made up my decision about this. I'm not going to make your decision for you. I'm just telling you that all of us sitting in this room have got to come to some decision about this because all of these things are words and values that have come out of the world system in which we live. So what will we do with them? Because John said we need to test these words. Now, you're not going to like this, okay? But I'll give them to you anyway. Here's one. Consumer consumption and debt. Now, when I was a kid growing up, my parents had no debt. They had no debt on anything. Nobody ever heard of buying a car on time payments. There was no such thing as debt. This is my lifetime. Debt came in my lifetime when people were told, hey, you can buy something and you don't have to pay for it. You can pay for it later. That's from the world. 
So I have to check that out. Does that belong as something good for me, or is that a distraction? You have to check it out, individually, corporately. When we moved to Budapest, there was no such thing as credit card buying. That was not very long ago. I remember going into their huge supermarkets, hypermarkets like Walmarts, only much bigger, and seeing refrigerators and stoves and things for sale. Cash only. And in the four plus years that we lived in that country, we watched the whole thing change. As suddenly credit came and consumer purchasing. It's from the world. It's a voice. How do you test that voice? And where do you decide you are? You like that one? There's another one. Divorce. I grew up in a time in the 40s and the 50s when I did not know anyone in our family who had ever been divorced. I know people got divorced, but not very many people got divorced. There's none of us in this room who don't know people who've been divorced or who are going through divorce. Divorce did not come from the church. Divorce came from the world. And then you and I in the church have to decide where do we stand on this. We have to test that spirit because divorce is now within the community of faith. If you're younger than 30, you've probably grown up with divorce within the community of faith as being something very common. Where do I stand? How about this one? Alcohol and drugs. I grew up in a home, my mother was a teetotaler. Nobody in our home ever drank any alcohol. If I ever touched alcohol, I'd been beaten within an inch of my life. I thought this was really interesting. When, when I went to Budapest, Hungary, and applied to be their first pastor in this startup church, about the fifth question on the list wasn't the first, but it was pretty close to the first, was, well, pastor, how do you feel about drinking wine? Why would that even be a question? And I, oh, well, we're in Europe. Oh, we're in Europe. Everybody drinks wine in Europe. It's like water. Here's something that didn't exist within the community of faith in my growing up years. But now it's commonplace. You can go to all kinds of Christian gatherings and you'll be served alcohol. Where do you stand on that? How do you test the spirits? Here's another one, abortion. Still not very popular. In my growing up, nobody ever heard of getting an abortion. Nobody ever talked about abortion. Now it's in the news. Where do we stand on this? Where do you personally stand on this? How do you test the spirit? How about this one? Gender or identity change. I can assure you when I was 15 years old, nobody ever told me about changing my gender. 
There's kids in school now that are being bombarded with that. It's coming out of the culture, just like other things come out of the culture, and it comes to hit us in the face. Where do we stand on this? Where will we stand on this 20 years from now, if God gives us 20 more years to live? How about friends with privileges? i got to tell you, this is the first time I heard this was maybe 10 years ago, and I didn't even know what the word meant. What, who are friends with privileges? For those of you who remain in ignorance, may you continue to remain in ignorance. <laughs> but out of the world system today, out of the culture around us in America, is coming the philosophy there's no reason to get married. There's no reason to get married, and if you look at the statistics, people aren't getting married. Young people are waiting longer and longer and longer and longer until they even do get married, if they get married. I have neighbors. They're delightful, wonderful people. They've been living together for 26 years and haven't gotten married, and it it hasn't even crossed their mind to get married. Okay, where am I on that? Where are you on that? These are all the issues of the world, the voices that come out of the world. John said they were important. Same-sex relationships. What? Nobody ever thought about that or talked about that. And now, it's everywhere. It's legal in this country. It came from the world. Where are we with that? Where will the community of faith be with that in five years? How about yoga and or all religious systems who say we all worship the same God? I never heard of yoga as a kid growing up. I've been in a lot of Christian things now where we do little yoga things. During the worship service, we do little yoga things. That didn't come out of my theology book. That came out of the world. Where am I with that? I've talked to multitudes of people who would say they belong to the community of faith and will tell me that Allah is exactly the same as the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah. Where am I on that? Because that's what the world system says. How about violence? I got to tell you this. I wish you had all known my mom. She's a tough lady. She went on a comic book crusade when I was maybe eight years old. She's a school teacher. She went on this crusade because comic books that they were selling in the little store right up the corner from where we lived, comic books went from cute little figures to people killing each other. And she wanted comic books out of that store. The violence in comic books. Oh, had she lived until today. (laughs) And the computer games that young people play? I know my two sons have developed computer games. I need to tell you, none of them have ever been violent. Nobody dies in any of their computer games. But computer games are filled with violence. I just heard this week 
that now some people are saying, you know, maybe those violent computer games are causing people to do violent things. I don't know. What do we do with this in the community of faith or as an individual? Here's the last one, my favorite. The social media on the Internet. Where did Facebook come from? Back in my day, we had this thing called a telephone. And we talked to people on the phone. That was as far as it ever got from face-to-face. It was either face-to-face or on the phone. I can't get any of my kids on the phone today. They don't talk on the phone. They all have one. They have it in their pocket. It's with them at all times. You either text or you do not communicate. (laughs) Some of you older people are well aware of that. Where did all this social media come from? Where did all this idea of Twittering and and telling everybody what you're doing all day long, where did it come from? It came from the world. This didn't come out of the community of faith, but the community of faith is being affected by it. I want you to hear... What John says, as he, we kind of summarize and put this whole letter together, he's raising the question for us. We're called to be a people who fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, and we're called to be a people who pay attention to what Jesus said to us. And some of the things he said, well, do not love the world and test the voices of the world. See, That's what we're called to do. I'm not laying down new rules. I'm just inviting us all to test the voices. Where are they from? Okay, now there's one part left to this letter. And uh, I, 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 James told me that I didn't have to do everything that I was assigned to do. So I thought, well, this will be the part I'm not going to do. Because, frankly, this part is so confusing that I'm not even sure the people who translate the scriptures all agree, much less agree what it means, okay? So are you ready for this? So, But since everybody can be disagreeing on this, I can certainly feel free to give you my opinion, and it won't matter anyway. All right, we're ready for this. We're open, right? You ready for this? Some of you already have an opinion. There's, this is not about testing the spirits. This is about what God said. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. Here it comes. We're going to talk about who Jesus is. That's how he ends this letter, who Jesus is. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Did, would anybody like to come up here and tell me what that means? Okay, we, we even struggle over what does that mean? This is Jesus who came by water and blood. What's well, water and blood? What's that? What? What? Some people say this has to do the water of his birth. Some people say this is the water of his baptism. So this is Jesus who came through baptism or birth and his blood. Oh, that probably is his death on the cross. This is Jesus who came through the water and the blood and the spirit is the one who testifies. 
Whose spirit? Jesus' spirit? The Holy Spirit? My spirit? What? So just to make it clearer, he continues. Now his continuing with this, in my mind, seems to have to do with the principle in the Old Testament. And this is the principle. You can't really trust what one person remembers. Now we do this. If you go to court today and you testify to being a witness to the scene of a crime, there's a good possibility that they'll say, you know, we need two witnesses or three witnesses because, you know, it's possible as something gets distant from us, we don't quite remember it correctly. So listen to what God wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. I got that part. Good to have two or three witnesses. Now let's get back to what John wrote. Now what we read next decided is decided by whose Bible you're going to read it in. There are basically two Greek texts that are translated into Bibles. One of those Greek texts is called the Textus Receptus, and that's what the King James Version was translated from. One of those texts is called the Westcott and Hort Critical Text, and that's what the newer translations are translated from. So despite the fact that I use an English Standard Version most of the time, or a New International Version, or some other version, I'm a King James Version guy today. Okay, because I think maybe they got it right. So I listed here for us to read what we read in the critical text, and then we'll read what we read in the King James Version of the same verse. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. Since we need two or three witnesses. For there are three, says John, that testify... And that's as much as he says in verse 7. Okay? Then if you go down to verse 8, he continues, The Spirit and the water and the blood and these three agree. There we are back to what he started with, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. They testify to who Jesus is. Okay, now the King James Version doesn't say that. So let's go back and we'll read verse 7 from the King James Version. There are three that testify, King James Version says, in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, or the Spirit. And these three are one. Now this is pretty easy, I can understand this. There are three that give witness in heaven, the Father, the Lord God Almighty, the Word, which is the Son, Jesus became the Son, who was the Word, and the Spirit. So the unity of the Trinity testifies to Jesus. Got that? From the King James Version. In verse 8, the King James Version adds these words. And there are three that bear witness in the earth the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree. 
Okay, now this is pretty simple to grasp, isn't it? So we have three that testify in heaven to who Jesus is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have three that testify in the earth who Jesus is, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. My interpretation on the earth. The water is either his baptism or his birth, I don't know, but to either one, there are people on this earth who testify Jesus was born and Jesus was baptized. So take your pick. To his death, there are people who testify that Jesus died. His blood was shed on the cross. And then there is this spirit, this wind. Is this possibly the resurrection of Jesus? There are three that testify to who Jesus is on the earth. Listen to this his baptism or birth, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead. Now, says John, if we receive the testimony of men on the earth, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Now, this is a lot of language to get something across by this writer. He said, you can take all testimony on the earth who will testify that Jesus was born, that Jesus was baptized, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose from the dead. But that's nothing. That's nothing to the testimony in heaven the Father Almighty and the Son and the Spirit who testify this is who Jesus was. We're going to Revelation next. And John is going to spend a lot of time revealing to us who Jesus really is. That's his testimony here. Who Jesus really is. And it comes from heaven, not from earth. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And we can either accept or reject that, who God says Jesus really is. I like this idea of accepting and rejecting. Do you know we get to do this all day long? Do you ever go out to a restaurant and they hand you this thing called the menu? And you look at it and you go, oh, there's too many things here. I do this all the time. You just give me, give me one or two. And all these choices. I can't, make, I can't make a choice. Don't ever go out with my wife because she can't make a, she can't make a choice. There's just too much. There's too many choices out there. We are constantly being told we need to make these choices. Did you ever buy a home? Which home should I buy? I don't know. Is it this one or this one? Most of us are not good choice makers. Did you ever buy a car? Thing costs maybe $20,000? I, I, I don't know which one I ought to get. Did you ever get married? <laughs> I don't know. 
Should this one, maybe not this one? I used to have a job back in my other life. I was the head of the quality control department for a large manufacturing company. And we used to manufacture paperboard boxes like these. And you had to go through a lot of steps to produce these boxes. You had to print them, you had to cut them, you had to glue them, fold them. And periodically it would be a mistake. And some quality control person would come to me and say, Okay, what do I do with these? There's uh, 50,000 of these, and the color's not right. And I would have to decide, what do we do with 50,000 cartons we just produced that the color's not right? Do we throw them away, or do we ship them to the customer? And then whatever I decided, I had to sign my name to and the date, because the person who's going to do it is not going to be responsible Moi had to be responsible. I used to do this day in and day out. It didn't bother me very much. I never had too much of a problem making a decision. I was amazed to find, the longer I stayed there, that these college guys, like me, who got hired into this job, were constantly being asked, well, what would you do? And most of them couldn't make decisions. It was the biggest problem they faced. I don't know which to do. Well, I found out you just might as well pick one and choose it. And that's exactly what John is saying. What are you going to do with this? This is Jesus that God will testify is the same as the Lord God Almighty. And the witness comes from the Lord God Almighty, the Son, and the Spirit. You want to accept it or you want to reject it. And it's not an easy decision. Except it's crucial. Absolutely crucial. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. What will we do with Jesus? Will we accept the testimony from heaven? And you can add in the testimony from earth. Will we accept it or reject it? Because in the balance hangs eternal life. I don't care what you do with eternal life. You can make it eternal life when you die. I'll, I'll go along with that. That's fine. I want eternal life when I die. I am not a cat or a dog. I want to live in the presence of God forever. Kind of really selfish about that. Maybe you want this to be eternal life now, because I think there is eternal life now. Right now, right here on earth. There is the experience of a quality of life. That's what John's been writing about, fellowshipping with God. It's like eternal life now. That's why he said our joy would be overflowing. Dependent on who Jesus is and who we decide he is rests this whole thing of eternal life. 
That's why John wrote the letter. He was concerned that the people he knew and he loved would have eternal life with God. Thus endeth the epistle of 1 John. Fellowship with God Almighty from today and every day forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I thank you for John as he labored with this. He didn't have any theology books to go to. He just looked at the life of one who walked on earth with him. And he knew there was something different and something unique. He listened to him pray. He listened to him teach. He watched him heal. He wanted what Jesus had, a relationship with the Father that he had never understood before. And as time went on, he grasped it. And he wanted everyone who would name the name of Jesus to have that same relationship. And intimacy. And intimacy with God. Moment by moment. Not to keep a lot of different commandments. Just a few. But to love the Lord our God. To love one another. And know who Jesus is. That we might have eternal life in him. Thank you, Father. In the name of our Savior, amen. Well, we have a lot of things to think about this week from that passage in 1 John. And maybe some good things to talk to one another about. What are the voices saying? Yeah, I'm kind of glad I'm not going to live to be another 50 years older than I am now. I don't know what's going to come down the pike for some of you. It might be good to talk about who Jesus really is. And do I want him as a part of my life? Not just a part, but the part every day. Father in heaven, use us this week. We love your word. Not always crystal clear to us. We love it. And we thank you, Father, for a creator God who has been willing to communicate with the creation we would not know about ourselves or about you apart from your gracious gift of a word translated for us by men and women for centuries given to us by those born along by your spirit. In our Savior's name, amen. God bless you all this week. (laughs) 